every year about this time, one of the two Sundays, give or take a few, that we stop and we look back. Now, the first of the month, we looked forward. The first of the month, I said the most important day of the year was strategy meeting days, the first Sunday of June, and we stopped and we looked ahead. We looked ahead to the future. We looked ahead to where we feel like God's leading us, new initiatives that we look at starting, where we feel like God is charging ahead, leading us as a church. And we approved together as a body uh, new leadership. We approved uh, 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 the largest ministry budget we've ever had at Grace Point Church. So it was a big step of faith for us. So it's a lot of forward thinking. Now today, I said on that Sunday, today we're going to look back. And we're going to see probably the second most important Sunday, which is the anniversary Sunday of when we started Grace Point as, as a family, uh, just with, uh, with a handful of other families on the last Sunday in June. So it's the last Sunday in June. And we gathered in a living room on Nita Road and Rogers. We gathered in this little home and, uh, we prayed together and we asked God, you know, not, none of these families were even committed to being a part of the church yet. And we prayed, God, would you, would you use us? God, do you have a plan? We already knew as a, Lori and I, we already knew as our family, we were going to do this. They didn't know if they were going to do this or not. And so these families are praying. We're praying together. And that was our first Sunday. And what we have, uh, I don't know, six or seven families there. And the next week, we decreased two entire families. So you talk about growing a church in the wrong direction uh, one Sunday to the next. But that's exactly what we experienced. We experienced 33% decline from one Sunday over the next. But that was the point that we started Grace Point. And we said, okay, here we go, God. Where are, you, where are you moving? What are you working? And we just wanted to put ourselves out there and just say, God, how can you use us? How can you use us as a new church? Now, this is a little statement I've heard for a lot of years of my life. Methods are many, principles are few. Methods change, principles never do. Methods are many, principles are few. Methods change, principles never do. And just resting on that, there were some things about Grace Point that we were going to be very fluid, very dynamic, very flexible. We were going to try things out. We were going to, not going to be fade to fail. We were going to, uh, you can't fall off the ground floor, right? So we were going to try a lot of things like that. And we're still to this day experimenting. We're starting new initiatives this year. We've never started before in the 18 years of our church. So we're going to continue to invent and reinvent. However, there are some things that don't change. There are principles that don't change, that steer our life, that steer our homes, that steer our decisions. These don't change. What are those bedrock decisions? And so what we did in the beginning is we went back and said, this is what is bedrock for us. This is foundation for us. Everything else may change. I may lose hair, get gray hair, which that became true. Uh, I may have a lot of other things that happen to all of us, but this won't change. These principles right there. So that's what we've kind of used as that kind of the operating standard for us. And so today... Today, every year, I come back, and this will be the 19th year that I've shared this message, the same message that I shared on the very first Sunday when we met in that house on Nita Road uh, back in the last part of June in 2001. So again, we're kind of going back in time here, but what are we doing? We're going back to make sure we're still anchored to the principles that we said we were about in the very beginning. So let's pretend for a moment that we're sitting down in the living room and you're hearing this for the very first time. And for some of you, you're literally hearing this for the very first time. You haven't been with us for the past 19 times that I've shared this. And maybe for some of you, you have been with us for the past 18, 17 times that you've heard me share this message. And for you and I, we are doing a level set. 
we're going, okay, are we doing what we said we were going to be doing for the beginning? And for those of you who are hearing this for the very first time, you are hearing, hopefully, the heartbeat of the pastor and what a heartbeat of the founding members of our church said that we were going to be about from the very beginning of time. The beginning of time of Grace Point, that is. And so, and some of this does date back to the beginning of the church. And so that's where we'll go there in just a moment. But we have not said it exactly this succinctly all along, but we say it this succinctly now. That the best way, this is what we felt on that day, the best way to bless a community is to start a church. It is the only organization, institution out there that will bless a community, body, soul, and spirit. Now, you tell me if I'm wrong. The only organization that I can think that will bless a community, body, soul, and spirit, is the church. So what's the best way to bless the community? Start a church. So that's exactly kind of been our kind of heartbeat from the very beginning. That's why not only do we want to start churches, we want to start churches under mango trees in, in, in West Africa or uh, at orphanages in Southern Africa or in Greece or in, in, in South Asia or wherever we go. We want to help see churches planted there. It's why five, I don't know, four, four years ago, we sent out from our church 16 families to a local, to our community to start a missional community called Narrative with Jared Sears, our, was a pastor of our church for eight years. And we sent them out. We launched them from our church. It's why we worked with Encounter Church, who's now in greater Boston area and now are averaging over 200 people in the greater Boston area, which is a significant sized church in that area, preaching the gospel in an area that does not get much gospel presence. And today, because we so much believe in this statement, the best way to bless the community is to start a church. We're telling you today that we're starting us another partnership in the greater Denver area with, uh, with a couple that uh, she is from Northwest Arkansas. And we made this connection through a connection. And now we are going to wa- walk with them as they go to the greater Denver area, uh, the Holloway family, Brad and Jay Lee. And you're going to be hearing their names and hopefully we're going to be sending teams, but we're going to be sending support. We're going to be sending prayers on their behalf. They got a big family. They got a whole church right there uh, just, uh, just launching out. And so we want to pray for the Holloways as they go. They have been in North Carolina for a number of years, finishing up their undergraduate and graduate work, and now they're relocating. And they're literally, in the month of July, are moving from South Carolina to, or uh, from North Carolina to Denver. So we want to pray for them. And that's, a, again, a new initiative, a new partnership that we have going on because we believe it's the best way to bless a community. Now, when you think about Denver, why Denver? Denver, 7% of Denver goes to evangelical, is a part of an evangelical church. That's a very much a strategic city for getting the gospel into. But not only that, that is the, Denver is the third loneliest city in America, right behind Vegas and Washington, D.C., is considered the third loneliest city. Now, just imagine that. What if we could plant in that community a church, a community of faith, who would give hope and life and breath and and, and truth and love and acceptance? What if we could be a part of that? So anyway, you pray about that. That's something that we're going to be a part of as a future that, again, just replicating what we believe, what was started in our church 18 years ago, because we believe this, the church is the hope of the world. 
Okay, the church is the hope of the world. Now you say, wait, 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 Jesus is the hope of the world. That's exactly right. But who carries the message of Jesus? Who represents? Who's the body of Christ? The church. The church is the one that's been commissioned. The church is the one that's been given the great commandment. The church. So if we don't do what we're supposed to do in a world that needs us to do what we need to do, then this world will not have what this world needs to have. You've tracked me? If we don't do what we're supposed to do, be the body of Christ, be the hands and feet, be the hope, be the light, be the love that this world needs, there's not a single person, there's not another institution out there that will be able to do it. So we have a beautiful part in God's greater plan. And we have been about it and we want to continue to be about it since our church's beginning. Now, we again, another statement we adopted last year that I want to see how we're doing, 12 months removed from this statement. We've been saying it a lot. We talk about live sent every Sunday when we go out for here. What does that mean? What does that mean, live sent? Here's what it means. I want to show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Now, that's been a mantra of ours. How are we doing? All right, take out your phones, all right? If you've ever been a part of this, Regular data rates do apply, blah, 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 blah. All right, um, like it's going to stop you from texting anyway. So uh, here we go. We're going to text a survey in. Now I'm going to give you the instructions, and I failed myself to do this correct last service, so I've got to make sure I do this correct this service. So three, three, four, uh, three, seven, seven, uh, nine, eight. No, nine, nine. See, I was going to mess it up myself. All right, so that's the number you're going to text to, all right? You're not going to put any answers in the answer block right now, okay? I'm going to ask the question. Now, I'm going to ask the question. I'm like a two-year, or explain it to second graders here. I'm going to ask the question, and then you're going to give the answer. Don't give the answer before understanding the question, all right? Here's the question. How many people have you personally shared Jesus' way of salvation with in the past 12 months. All right, now don't answer that yet. I know some of y'all are already, already plugging the number in. Your number is going to match the number that you're going to put in there. Don't put it in, don't hit send yet, because there is one little variation to that. If you, did, if you shared the gospel with one person, now again, let me explain this before we answer this. What does it mean to share the God's way of salvation? It could be as simple as... Hey, here's my God's story about how my life was before Christ, my, my life after Christ. And, um, um, you know, have you ever had, had a decision to follow Christ like that? Have you ever had a life change experience like that? It could be the three circles. If you bought somebody's coffee in the car behind you, you didn't show and share Jesus in every conversation with every people, okay? That's not, that's not what we're talking about. That's doing a good thing. Thank you. Keep, buy my coffee next time I'm behind you. But, but, but that's not showing and sharing Jesus, okay? Showing and sharing Jesus where you help somebody understand, take a next step into understanding what it means to become a follower of Jesus, okay? So now, put your answer in that blank, but if you didn't share any times this past year, no judgment, nobody's going to look at your phone number and figure out that you have failed in your Christian faith, okay? You need to put 10 in that number, okay? One, one, two, two, but 10 is zero. Sorry, that's the survey for you. That's the way it works. So um, type that number in, type your number in, send it in. You're not going to get to see the results today. I agree with you, sister. Um, uh, The... uh, 
Uh, we're going to give you the results in a couple of weeks, okay? Uh, we're going to compile all of this and, and look at it ourselves. So there it is. There, if you've added them up, the number of people you shared the gospel with over the past year, and you'll have that opportunity to fill that out throughout the services. You think about it. Uh, all right, here we go. So as you're thinking about, we as a church, the sharing and showing and showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversation, what's, what's some bedrock about us? We do this because since the beginning of our church, we've wanted to be an authentic church for those who've given up on the church but haven't given up on God. And there's a lot of people who have given up on the church. They've been hurt, abused, neglected. They, have, they themselves have, have maybe done something wrong and they, they don't feel like they can go back. And So whatever, we want to be that church that's a safe place where you can come back and figure out that road back to, that, that reconnecting with or that connecting with for the very first time because we believe that a church, a healthy church, a vibrant church is the best way to bless this community. And we want to be that kind of church. Eugene Peterson, again, I've told you before, he's one of my faves. Uh, he's a pastor to pastor. He's gone to be with Jesus now. But it, he, he was the one who paraphrased the, the message 11 years to paraphrase it. This is a statement that he made. Our membership in the church is a corollary to our faith in Christ. There is a connecting point there. There is a mirroring effect here. There's a corollary of our faith in Christ. My connection in a church, my belonging to a church, my family sense of family in a church has a direct corollary to my relationship with Christ. Just let that set on you for a little bit. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. However dysfunctional our families may be, we're still a part of a family. It is a part, the church is a part of the fabric of redemption. Hear that? It's a part of the fabric when God was trying to make this world right, when God was trying to restore hope in this world, when God was trying to go to Denver and bring Hope to lonely people. He was doing it through the church. That's the value. That's the connection. It's the fabric of redemption. And listen, if we aren't going to be... Grace Point Church is a movement of God. If it's not, then let's all close the door and move on. I don't want to be a part of maintaining a building and keeping the lights on and keeping Christians warm, happy, and fed. I want to be a part of a movement that's a back to the original design of what that movement was supposed to be about in the very beginning. Listen, we are a scared, broken world, and a scared, broken world needs a fearless church. Are we going to be that fearless church? Are we going to be a movement? Are we going to move people further? Listen, the church was not my invention or anybody else's. It was God's invention. Are we a movement? Are we about being a movement? Take your Bibles and open to the book of Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at the time when Jesus introduced the concept of the church. Okay? Now, the scenario here, six months, imagine Six months prior to him going to the cross. Six months prior to him going to the cross, he is with his disciples in the northern part, north of of even Capernaum city, 
where he spent most of his time in ministry and even growing up years. He's about 25 miles to the north, just south of the Syrian-Lebanon border, okay? So he is really far north, and he's in this mountainous region. He's in this area called Caesarea Philippi. Now, this particular area was a heavily Greek-influenced area. In fact, Philip, Caesarea Philippi, Philippi is named after uh, Herod the Great's father, Philip. Okay, so imagine that. The Greek influence of this area, and, it's, and it, there's incredible wealth and knowledge and so forth that is, that is in this area. Now, keeping that in mind, that's the scenario. Let's read the text in, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And others are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice that emphatic statement there. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now, Simon Barjona wasn't his first, middle, and last name. All right? It was Simon was his birth name. Barjona, Bar means son in the Hebrew language. Jonah was his dad's name. So it's Simon, the son of Jonah. So Simon, the son of Jonah, flesh, uh, blessed are you. He says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. So his name's been Simon since he was a baby. Now Jesus just changed his name to Peter, which, by the way, means rock. Peter, and on this rock, upon your name, your confession that you just gave, Peter, I am going to, I'm going to do something. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against me. This is the first time this word church is used with Jesus and his disciples in a, in a futuristic kind of way. Up until this time, it was just he and his followers, he and his band of believers. And now Jesus introduces this secular term to describe a spiritual community. And he brings it out and he says, listen, you're my called out ones and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. Let's talk really quickly. What does it mean to be a people of God? What does God say? How do we become this church, this, 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 this movement? How is that? Number one way, components here, Jesus Christ has got to be the foundation. Now, I know that that seems so elementary. Jesus Christ, the foundation. But, but who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If we don't get that one right, then forget everything else. Now, again, we can't even agree on probably who Jesus is completely in this room. Was he God? Was he fully God? Was he fully man? Was he fully God and fully man? Was he, has he always existed? I mean, there may be people in this room who have different views on that, just like there are different views out in our culture. Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi. Again, I've told you that. In Caesarea Philippi, if you go there today, you'll find in, in this rock 
side, granite side of the mountain, you'll find where they have carved into the stone many, many carvings of many, many gods, pagan gods that they worshipped. In particular, they've identified 16 different pagan temples in this one little area. Now, but of all of them, there was one in particular that stood out above all the others. The Grotto of Pan, the most prominent one, right in the middle of this big cave that's right there. In that indention and that rock that since the 3rd century B.C., they had been making human sacrifices to the god Pan, the god of fear, the god of anxiety, the god of loneliness, the god of, the god of, of angst, if you will, because the word Pan is where we get the word panic from. So it, this is the God there, and, and the, you brought your fears, you brought your anxieties, and you sacrificed, yes, human beings with blood filling up the trough. Now, can you imagine? Hundreds of years, and Jesus is standing there before them, and he's saying, who are people saying I am? Who are people saying, what are they saying about me? This is a very religious community. Verse 13 again. Who do people say that the Son of Man is. There's a lot of different views out there on who Jesus is. There's a lot of different views on how to get to God. Just like in Caesarea Philippi, there were 16 different pagan temple gods to get to God. How do you get to God? Who is God? If you were to ask a Hindu today, you would ask them, who is Jesus? They would give you one answer. They would tell you that Jesus was a, 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 a teenager who grew up and went uh, into uh, and learned yogic meditation. He went to India as a teenager and he learned yogic meditations and he comes back to first century Israel and he becomes, listen to this, he becomes a first century Gandhi. And he is the Gandhi of the first century and he is just one of many gods of the 330 million deities that Hinduism acknowledges. Jesus is just one of many. There's Buddhist. If you ask a Buddhist who Jesus is, they will tell you that he and Buddha, Buddha and Jesus were brothers. And that, that really they got, became brotherhood because they achieved, they arrived at this universal love, this, this ultimate state of love where hate is out and all love is in. And that's why today we have this world that if we think if we'll just get rid of all the hate and we'll have more vibes of love, that that will fix all the anger of the world. That'll fix all the world uh, complications that we have. We just need, that's why Zen Buddhism today is one of the fastest growing religions across America. Because you can believe whatever you want to believe as long as you love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a person. And you get to know that person through Jesus. The Jews, what do they say about Jesus to this day? They will tell you that Jesus, from the history of Jesus, the total death of Yesu, they'll tell you that Jesus is a bastard child of a seduced Mary who later gains magical powers and sorcery. That's who Jesus is. If you ask a Muslim who Jesus is, Islam will tell you that, 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 that Jesus is a, uh, is, a, uh, is a prophet. He's only a prophet. It's all he ever was. Just like Muhammad was a prophet. He was not God. Don't call him to be God. That's who Jesus is. 
Jehovah's Witness, you ask a Jehovah's Witness, they, they, they will tell you that he was formerly the archangel Michael. He came to this earth simply as a man. He wasn't divine. He never was divine. He died a martyr's death and he never rose again. That's what a Jehovah's Witness will tell you. If you ask a Mormon, a Mormon are not Christians the same as we believe about the Bible, even though they may hold up the Bible and they may refer to the Bible. There's a vast difference between what they believe about Jesus and what we espouse about Jesus. They believe that Jesus was conceived of Mary when God came to earth and had relations with Mary and that Jesus was born into this world and that he grew into godhood, into divinity. So you cannot say that all the religions of the world believe the same thing. Therefore, you cannot say that all the religions of the world are going to end up at the same place. That would be a contradiction in statements. So who is Jesus? Who do people say Jesus is? You ask a postmodern, they'll just tell you. They'll take any mixture of any concoction they want to create and they'll blend it together and they'll create their own little cocktail of who Jesus is. But then there's another category. And maybe some of the people in this room. It's the notional Christian. The notional Christian is probably the most dangerous of all of these because all the others have a very clear doctrinal difference uh, 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 contrary to the Scriptures. But the notional Christian, which some believe make up about 44% of those who are a part of the church today, that's a scary number, but that notional Christian is the person who says that, yes, I believe that Jesus is God, and yes, I think that He's the way, the truth, and the life, and and yes, one of these days I'm going to get serious about following Him, but right now I'm kind of enjoying my own calling own shots. They like the notion of being a Christian, a follower of Christ, but they're not. It's a pretty scary state to be in. So Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Just like I ask you today, who do people say that Jesus is? But then he does something beautiful. In verse 15 and 16, he says, but who do you say that I am? Who am I? To you. Who do you say that I am? Now, that's a question that every one of us has to ask at some point in our life. Who is Jesus to me? Verse 15. But who do you say that I am? And Paul, or excuse me, Peter is the first one to step up and speak up. And what he does is he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very emphatic. You are the Christ. And I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And we know that Jesus, uh, Peter follows him. Yes, he denies him. He gets back up. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. He's constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. I mean, there's constantly. But look at Peter. He goes out and he ends up leading one of the greatest movements, the greatest churches, the first church of Jerusalem. Think about that. Was it perfect? No. Was it, was, it, was it without error? No. It was God working in him, leading a movement that would end up leading itself to our shores and to our homes. Peter was willing to live his life for him. Lord, y'all, many of y'all know that Lori and I had just spent a week in, um, in, in Greece together and teaching the evangelical churches. And when we were there, we were able to meet with a number of missionaries that actually some of them had gone out from Greece to other parts of the world. And as we were there sharing with them and sharing uh, um, encouragement and hopefully helping them become stronger as they share their faith, they were also strengthening me. 
We started the day every day with an hour of prayer. We prayed for all the world. We prayed for the works that were being represented in the in the room. It was a it was a great time to just pour into the pastors and leaders and the missionaries and and, and so forth. So as we were there doing that, that one of the missionaries that had spent time in Sri Lanka helping to start a evangelical church in a nation that only ten percent of the nation are evangelical Christians. Most of them are Buddhist in that country. And they shared about what had happened on Easter and on Easter this year. When there were three churches, I think somewhere around 800 people, were killed in a church bombing that took place in Sri Lanka. Two Catholic churches and one, Protestant, one evangelical or Protestant church. And they were a part of helping to start that evangelical Protestant church. And it was like, oh my gosh. Then they went on and they tell, and I tried to get a photo of this before today and I was unable to get it, so I apologize for that. And I could only find the after bombing, the after the bombing photo. But what had happened is on Saturday night, before the church met on Easter Sunday and the bombing took place, on Saturday night, there was a youth gathering in the church. And they gathered and they prayed and they recognized that Jesus had died for them and, and that he had lived for them and, and that he had given himself for them. And the challenge of the youth pastor to the youth was, are you willing to live for Jesus? Are you willing to even die for Jesus since he lived for you and he died for you? And about half those youth stood up, walked to the center of the room, gathered in a circle, and they prayed over them because they're in a country, again, where terrorism can happen in a heartbeat. And what happens the very next morning is some of those same teenagers' life was taken from them. I say that to say, man, that's so real to me right now. When I think about that I knew somebody who helped start a church in an area that needed the gospel, and and yet now some of them are now dead because uh, they were following Christ. Listen, I got to realize to be a follower of Christ may cost me my life. Am I willing to pay that price? Being a follower of Christ, when He's the foundation of my life, He is everything about my life. I will live, I will love, I will die for that. Will you? Is that something that you are willing as a follower of Christ or are you in that notional camp? Jesus, Grace Point is a movement that moves people closer to Jesus. Are you moving closer to Jesus? Number two, Jesus Christ is the foreman of this church, okay? He is the foreman. If the church is the part of the fabric of redemption, then we need to listen to what his plan is. Verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. It's my church. It's not your church, Mike. It's not your church, founders of Grace Point. It's not your church if you're a new member of Grace Point. Yes, it is our church and that we get to be a part of it, but it belongs to Jesus. Now, Peter does, I mean, Paul does something a little bit later on in his writings in 1 Corinthians. He says this, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. Now, hold it. I thought Jesus was the builder. And he says, but each one should be careful how he builds. So who's building this baby? Paul's talking about him building and others building, and everyone's building. And then Jesus is talking about him building. Who's the builder? Here's the best way I can reconcile those verses. Jesus is the foreman, 
and we're the builders. We are the hands and the feet. We're the ones on the ground. We're the subcontractors. But now does a subcontractor build it according to his plans? No. He listens to the foreman's plans. He builds it off the foreman's design. He listens to his design build. And he goes with what he said to do. Listen, we are a church that's about building a church based on God's plans for us. He gave us a really simple blueprint. It was the great commandment and the great commission. And we have been from the beginning about the great commandment and the great commission. Now, if you're a member of Grace Point, then you've heard this before. Let's all say it together. This is our purpose. This is what we're about. We budget, we plan, we live, we, we function off of this right here. We have a great commitment. Say it with me. We have a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church for our great God. Say it again like you mean it this time. We have a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church for our great God. We got to get two things right, and that's it. The great commandment. Love God and love others. The Great Commission. Go, and as you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we got. If we don't do anything else, we, we, we got to get those two things right. We got to get the Great Commission right. Going and making disciples and baptizing them. And listen, in a few weeks, we're going to have another baptism gathering, and it's going to be one that we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate new life, and new life that's just happened in recent months, recent days. Be a part of that. If you've never given your life to Christ, give your life to Christ. Be baptized and declare your faith in Christ. But that's a part of the Great Commission. But it's also the Great Commandment where we love God and we love others. We love God and we love others. That's what he calls us to. We've got to love our community well while reaching the nations. When Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciples by your love for one another. That's how we're going to be marked. This world is going to know us by how well we love one another, how we do one another's together. We talk about one another's. We talk about how we, we exist to promote transformative community with one another. That's one of the values that we've had. It ties right back to this. We've got to love one another. We've got to be a healthy community with one another. There's over 50 one another's in Scripture. How are you doing at one anothering? Think about it. How well are you at loving, hosting, receiving, honoring? Who's honoring you? Who are you honoring? Serving, instructing, forgiving, motivating, building up. This is a biblical community. I didn't write it. I just get to deliver it. Now I get to live it out. Do you have one another brothers? Do you have one another sisters? Do you have one another's in your life? I was actually sharing this part with uh, the Greek, uh, Greek pastor and a Greek leader uh, over a meal one day. And I was telling them, this is one of the things that we really value as Grace Point Church. And they didn't understand when I said, who's your one another, brother? And I explained to them exactly what I'm explaining to you now. It's when you confess your sins to one another. You know what that means? You're going to have to be open and transparent. When you're going to love one another, you're going to forgive one another. That means you're going to be close enough to people that you're going to hurt people. And they're going to hurt you. And you're going to learn to forgive them. You're going to honor one another. It means you're going to literally pour yourself into people, making them better, stronger. Think about it. Think about the one. Who do you do one another's with? And this pastor, I remember, he didn't shut his mouth up very many times the whole time we were there. But he did get quiet. And for about 15 seconds, he was stone quiet. And he was looking down. And then he looked up. He says, I don't have anybody that I can call a one another brother in my life. Folks, I know in this room, there's some of you who don't have it. 
And I tell you, it is incredibly dangerous to live a life without it. Grace Point Church, if we are good at what we're going to be good at, we will move people closer together. Closer together. All right? So here's the deal. You're going to have to help make that happen. We have a three-minute rule. We're going to reenact it. You're going to start hearing it more and more and more and more. I'm going to make sure of it, okay? Three-minute rule. We used to do this a long time ago when we were a lot smaller and a lot, a lot different building, okay? First three minutes of as soon as the service is over, when you hear live sent, you turn around, you find somebody, and you're sent first of all to that person. Meet them. Take three minutes. Get to know them. Hopefully, we're going to start building better relationships right within this community. All right? Number three, Jesus Christ is the future. He's our future. He's where where we're going. Our agenda is His agenda. Not my agenda, it's His agenda. He gives us His agenda. He gives us His agenda by giving us His authority, by giving us accountability, by giving us accessibility. Look at verse 19. He said, uh, yeah, verse 19, He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. But go back to verse 18 just before that. And I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell? He's in Caesarea Philippi where people died on an altar. (laughs) That was hell, okay? They were paying God pan. They were paying God pan sacrifices to get rid of the pain of their life, the anxiety of their life. There There was a darkness about Caesarea Philippi. And and Jesus is saying, the gates of hell. I read this verse wrong for so many years of my life. I used to think that if I'll build up a big enough fence, tall enough wall, enough hedges, put put broken glass and barbed wire and electrify the fence, that I'll be able to keep Satan out of my life. I'll keep the darkness out. The gates of hell won't come in. It's not a defensive structure. It's actually an offense. We are on the offense. Satan is on the defense. Satan can't keep us from pressing the light forward. Can't keep us from charging into darkness. Can't keep us out. It is actually Satan trying to keep us from advancing the truth. That's why I say Jesus is our, is our future. Grace Point is about the future of what he's about, and that's expanding his kingdom. And then he gives us the keys he gives us the keys. If I had my keys on stage today, I, you could literally get any access to any part of my life. You could get into any room in the church, like that would be a real big deal, right? Um, you could get into filing cabinets that have confidential documents in it. You could go to my house, and you get into my house, and if you pilfer enough through there, you might be able to look under the cushions and get enough to buy you a latte at McDonald's or something like that. So... You know, you would, you could you could get into into my home. You could get into my where I feel secure. What does Jesus do? He gives us the keys to heaven. And he said, "Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven." He gives us the ability to help other people get to heaven. That's what he gives us. That's why we're moving. That's why we're. That's the future that we're going to. The problem is some people are turned off by the church. Many, far too many, abandon their quest for Jesus entirely repelled by the church. They never make it to Jesus. Christ Point Church, if we're going to be a movement, 
we got to move us closer to those far from God. We got to move us closer to those move ourselves closer to Jesus, move ourselves closer to one another, but move ourselves closer to those far from God. We've got the keys, the kingdom of heaven. Satan can't stop us. Let's take the gospel there. Who's your one? Who's your one? You've heard us talk about it. We've asked you, we're still in that 30-day window. I'm asking you to pray. Who's your one? In a couple of weeks, we're going to ask you to come back. Who's your one? Name them. Put a name with a face. I have an alert on my phone at 5.55 every morning. I'm typically in the Word and studying and praying at that time. At 5.55 every morning, I get an alert on my phone that just asks me one question. Who's your one? If that's what you've got to do every day to remind yourself to pray for that one, do it. Who's your one? Who's going to be the one today? Who's going to be the one that I'm going to pray for? Who, who am I going to encounter today? I may look at my, my calendar and see that I'm going to be meeting with X, Y, and P. I, I'm at, that might be the one that I get to share the gospel with. Who's going to be the one that I'm going to get to show and share Jesus? In everyday conversations with everyday people. We ask back... In the light that's out there in the gallery, it says, Live Sent. We ask our people, last Mother's Day a year ago, so a little over a year ago, um, how many people do you know who don't know Jesus? How many people do you know, attenders, members and attenders, that do not know Jesus? 2,204 people we all could name. 2,204 people far from God. Now just imagine that. What do you do with that? Well, you start praying for them. You start going to them. You start looking for that opportunity to show and share Jesus with them. Um, since June, now this is something to celebrate. Since June 9th, we had strategy meeting on June 2nd. On June, since June 9th to this day, less than one month, okay? Less than a month. We've seen 16 people come to faith in Christ through the ministries of Grace Point Church. Give the Lord a hand. 16. That is beautiful. And what's even more beautiful, and I get to dive behind this, diving behind the stories of hearing how one of our teenagers was in the streets of London and shared the gospel for the first time ever and led that person to faith in Christ. I love to hear those kind of stories. In fact, what's really awesome about those 16 new believers, five of them were led to the Lord by our youth while they were in London sharing the gospel, showing and sharing Jesus. I love it that Lori, after the end of the last gathering, met with probably a 13-year-old girl out in the gallery area and says she's going to camp this week and she wanted to know how she could help lead her friend who's going to camp with her to faith in Christ. I love it, moms and dads, when our kids get it that they're sent. Do we get it? Are we willing to go and share? Listen, he's given us the keys. He's called us the church. We got one another. Let's build on his foundation. Let's go together as the church, and let's go to those people who are far from God. That's what we have been about from the beginning. And as long as I'm pastor, pray to God. I pray to God. I never lose that heart, that passion to see people come to faith in Christ. Join me. Join us. Let's bring people to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me?
you today. You may be here and you go, man, this is, this is not for me. I'm not a churchgoer. I'm not really a follower of Christ. Yes, it is for you. The hope, that the message, everything we talk about here today, this is, this is about getting hope to the hopeless, life to the lifeless, breathing life into people who need to know. If you don't know Jesus today, you don't have life. Do you want to have life? Do you want to know Jesus forever and ever and ever? Amen. Right where you're at, just say, Jesus, I want to give myself to you fully, completely to you right now. I want to pray for us. And I want us to remember our foundation is Jesus and we are building on nothing other than him. We're going to sing about it, but if you want to pray with somebody, I'll be here at the front. Lord, be hanging out here at the front. We're here. Come. Let's talk. Let's pray. Father God, we, we bow before you now and we just ask that you would speak to us in a clear and compelling voice. We wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't miss you. We wouldn't miss your voice. Lord, are we children of God? If we are not, Lord, I pray today that we will give ourselves to you. Father, I pray today that we all will be overwhelmed with the calling and the commitment to help other people come to know you. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together and sing with us?